I am first of all want to go back to a section of the interview with Rachel right now. Then as soon as that, and you'll see why and pick up the theme straight away. As soon as that section's over, the transition bell will go again and we'll get into how do you create the correct dose of physical activity or using an area of science, what we call um, metabolic and physiological health sciences, how do we create these adaptations so that we can get you to improve your metabolic health, lower your chances of metabolic syndrome? So let me be specific again so there's no confusion. I want to transfer to a section of the interview with Rachel where she talks about her experiences growing up with physical activity. Then I'm going to come back straight after that and transition into about 10 minutes of a previously recorded episode that I did about how to create health adaptations. And you'll see what that's all about when we get to that. All right, let's go transition bell right now across to Rachel, then transition bell, and then I'll be back. Yeah, so Dr. Cooper is um, he's in Dallas. He's actually not, when I met him, he was 87. He's 91 years old now and still lectures and is as sharp as the um, he's the most perfect example of a person who is um, living what he preaches and is 91, still living this incredible contribution to the world. Lovely. So he's great, a great guy. Lovely. So do you grow up there? Tell me about this is what fascinates me the most. And I ask every guest that I talk to. And and I know that we've communicated in messages. When you were in, in uh, say, elementary school, primary school for Australia, middle school and high school, all right? Were you a person that was enjoyed sports? Were you? Did you like sports? Did you play sports outside of I, school? What was that like for you? Yeah. Um, I always did ballet. Um, yeah, I did active. ballet at, from like age six through most of high school. Yeah. Um, but other than that, and I was briefly a cheerleader in, yeah. um, in middle school, but then, then, um, our family moved and, and then, um, I didn't make the team. Uh, yeah. and yeah, that, that was kind of it. So, um, so the ballet yeah. is a very active thing though. That's that when we say, a, I guess when I talk about sport, I should include dance a subject that, that uh, is a part of the courses here in Australia. Uh, we do health and physical education and dance is in, in, in and around that subject. So um, so you were doing ballet. The practice for that would have been very regular, like on a weekly basis. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I was pretty – I was – I mean, I remember myself being fairly good. Uh, my – in these things that, like, you know, are painful to say out loud – um, when I was a sophomore in high school, yeah. um, I the, the instructor that I had been taking lessons with retired, and mm. I had to find a new ballet school. And um, the new ballet instructor pulled me aside at the end of class. I had, you know, maybe been there for a few weeks, and. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they they said to me, well, you know, Rachel, it's very obvious that you have the athletic ability with dance and the and the the strength, but you are too tall to be a ballerina, 
and um, you are not thin enough. So oh, you will never make it in, uh, in the professional world. And I had never even considered necessarily, you know, being a professional. I just enjoyed dance and movement. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I just, I loved it. And it was soul crushing to be told, well, you're good, but you're just too fat. And I was not fat at that time. No, no, that's, but in this ballet world, um, yeah, I know there's, I mean, there's so many different sports. Gymnastics is the same. That's very, um, swimming in Australia has had a very big problem recently with swimming coaches who concentrated on fatness of particularly girls. Um, you know, that mm -hmm. whole thing, that ethos in sport has certainly not yet gone away. I know that um, over in Oregon, there is um, one of the most famous sports coaches in track and field in marathon running is Alberto Salazar. And uh, he has um, just been banned for four years uh, by the drug authority. But one of the complaints some of his athletes had were about the concentration on, on weight. I mean, these are like mm -hmm. these are like 130 pound athletes, and he wants them to get down to 125 pounds to be a better marathon runner or a better 10,000 right. meter runner. And it just you know bizarre things to try and increase performance, and uh, that does impact people, especially when you're especially when you're young. So let me absolutely like, so you do the ballet. You you don't mm -hmm. play the other sports, and that's like. That's very typical. I mean, ballet is a very physical thing, meaning mm -hmm. it's very, um, it's demanding on your body. Yes. And in terms of, you know, being able to participate in it, you've got to have a great um, oxygen transport system, a great blood vessel network and great heart function because it's it's demanding. So yes. you went, when you leave and go to university at George, George Washington, is that where it was? Mm -hmm. Yes. Um. You go there and you start, is that a four-year degree for you guys for doing the political one or three years? Yes. Mm -hmm. Four-year yes. degree. So when you go through there and you're getting through university, let me ask you this question because I have a, a, a thesis of a, a supposition, a theory that when around the world that I want to ask you this question rather than me describe it to you to see whether mm -hmm. I get the similar answer. As you move <laughs> through university and then you got, let's say you finish around 22, that's when I finished university here in Australia. You finish around 22. By the time you go from being 18, 19 when you start university up to around 30, how much was regular physical activity a part of your life? Um, not not very much. Um, I After I graduated from college and moved into my own apartment, I got a gym membership and um, was going to the gym uh, sometimes um, until I had a stalker. I, I oh. literally had a stalker um, oh. who would camp out in front of the gym and, um, and then follow me home. And um, that kind yeah, of that put would... me off going to the gym. And this was when you were in your decade of your twenties. Is that right? Yes, I was about twenty-two. Oh wow! Yeah, I'd be I'd be out of there too for sure. Yeah. Um, particularly, you know, yeah, particularly you know, the female having a, a stalker. So you you do that. Um, and did you get married in your twenties as you started your career? I did. Or, yeah, I did. okay. And um, so I I graduated in three years from college. I yeah. thought I was in such a rush to do everything. 
Um, I was 20 when I graduated from college. Um, I got married at 22 and, um, by 28, I had my first child. And so and that's in in the middle there, it was just all, you know, I was doing the career, spending time with my husband, husband number one, um, who he loved to go to restaurants and, um, really a foodie. Mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. that was kind of our life and I gained yeah. a lot of weight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like all mums who are raising children when they're young, because my wife and I, we started way late. We, we didn't even, like we have one child, he's now about to turn 13, and um, we didn't start till we were 45. <laughs> it's not that we didn't want to. So, so we were way, we're down the other end of the spectrum. But new mums, you're working hard in terms of raising your child those pre-school years. Um, would you have, I'm going to make the assumption, tell me if this is true, that you wouldn't have, have spent much time being physically active in those first five years after your first child's born? Right. So I had the two children two years apart, and other okay. than chasing children, no, yeah. I was not okay. active. Right. And yeah. did you um, did you start back at work um, sometime after they were at school, when they started school, was that when you kind of headed back into the workforce, or during the, when they were younger? Um, yeah, when they were when they were infants. Yeah, right. our, so you, our you system were here is very different. <laughs> we don't yes, have paid here and things like that. So yeah, yeah, there's not. Um, yes, I get that. There is. It's yeah. big differences politically and socially, yes. I guess, in the social yes. constructs. Australia has. Um, we're very lucky. We, we're, we're actually the, one of the nicknames of our country is the lucky country. And um, part, of that is, part of that is to do that. We have this great medical care system where medical care is free. My son, when he was between the ages of four and six, broke both elbows twice, falling over. Oh, no. And uh, had to go to hospital. Yeah, it was terrible. We were horrified. Um but um, you have to go to hospital and have three surgeries, and he was in hospital. Like, we didn't pay a cent. We, you don't pay anything in Australia. So the medical care system is really different over here, yeah. and uh, and it's a good social fabric support structure. I mean, a lot of Australians still complain about it, but it really is a very good system when we look at some of the other parts yeah. of the world. We're, we're very lucky. So you have your two children. You're not you're doing juggling work and then coming home to juggle children, bath, feed, time, all the things, Mm -hmm. they get into their teenage years. Did you then get to the stage where you're doing what normal parents do with running children around to different activities? Yes, absolutely. Shuttling them to soccer, um, which you would call football. Um, We call it soccer in Australia too. We're not not that big on soccer. All All the people around different who listen to the show who are from Europe and South America? They all call it football, but as Australians, it's uh, it's still soccer as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you were doing that soccer, and then other acts. So basically, yeah. similar. All the act, all the activities. Being yeah. a chauffeur. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which is interesting because my my son is about turned thirteen. He does scouts. He's a swimmer, and he does music. And so my wife is so unbelievably fantastic around all the work that I do. And she's taking into a lot of those things. I'm taking to some of those things. And, um, but it's, it's, it's just this same experience of going through your twenties, 
getting into your 30s and then when your children, it's like all of a sudden you hit your 40s and there is a significant difference in the way that our appearance is on the outside compared to when we were 22 when we left university. Oh, um, absolutely. And, and especially and it, if you like food. <laughs> yes. Yeah, especially which, if you like food. <laughs> which who doesn't? And, and in this, well, um, just down near where I live, there's a, a four-way corner. And it, on one, one corner, it's got McDonald's. This might sound like America. It's got McDonald's. It's got KFCs. It's got Burger King, uh, Krispy Kreme, uh, and all these different. <laughs> and one of our friends who's a, a parent with the swimming um, group that my son belongs to, he calls it Cholesterol Corner. <laughs> so, so that, uh, yeah, it, it's very accurate. And, so, yeah, lots of people love food. And Well, that pattern that Rachel and I just discussed there is just repeated the world over. Think about the country that you live in and think about the largest part of your society of adults. Is that resemble where you live? What we just discussed, the way in which people live their lives with a lack of the correct dose of physical activity, which then leads to negative molecular health and physiological health adaptations, things like metabolic syndrome and decrease your metabolic health. Okay, in this part of Metabolic Health Secrets Now, we're going to transition to this previously recorded episode where I talk about the correct heart rate pattern matters for health. Let's dive into that section right now and you'll understand why and how it's related back to what I talked about at the end of section one, arteriogenesis, angiogenesis, and then we're going to dive into more metabolic health adaptations. All right, let's go and have a listen to this episode well, this part of the episode right now that I previously recorded somewhere else, but it's so pertinent here right now to add into what we're talking about. Correct heart rate pattern matters for health. And I said, what we're going to do is we're going to start linking the days of your heart rate pattern together. So let me just walk you through in this episode a scenario because today we'll look at in this episode we'll look at what we call the rolling seven days of your physical activity and then we'll talk a little bit about health adaptations and then in tomorrow's episode we'll look at a month and then maybe a year as well and the health adaptations that happen if you have the correct heart rate pattern because I can tell you now it matters for health all right, let's go, let's go straight into it and talk about the scenario and the example that we're going to look at here with the correct heart rate pattern that matters for health. Let's get, run you through this first scenario. Let's say you or someone that you influence or teach or care about, let's say they do three days of physical activity in a given week. Let's say, well, let's just pick on, well, we pick on a young person or a middle-aged person or an older person like me. I consider myself to be old, but I'm 55, so I'm starting to get there. Um, nevertheless, um, let's get back to, let me pick someone who is uh, 30 years of age. Yep, that sounds good, 30 years of age. Their heart rate pattern, if they are physically active over those three days, let's say they live at home, they don't have any kids yet, and they've got a couple of pets, a couple of dogs, and they take those dogs out for a walk. So on one of the days their physical activity is taking the dogs out for a walk. And let's say they go for a really good size walk. And when I say good size walk, I mean length of time. 
Now, I'll ask you this question. When you're out walking the dog, do you generally go fast? Now, if you go for a run with your dog, that's different than taking a walk from the dog. But I'm talking about a 30-year-old person who went for a walk with the dog. All right, let's assume they live in a fairly, just a, a suburb like mine. I live in a suburb here in Sydney that's got the topography. If I walk the streets with our golden retriever, the topography is somewhat uh, up and down. It's undulating. Okay, there's a few hills there. There's a few flats. It's undulating. But walking the dog, if I was the 30-year-old person doing that, the thing that you have to understand, first of all, about correct heart rate pattern is what would be their maximum heart rate? And if you don't know the formula, and there's, look, there's several scientific formulas, but for health, it doesn't matter. There's one easy one to use, and it's close enough. It's, it may not be 100% if you're a sports performance person, but when it comes to health, it's brilliant. Here it is, 220 minus your age. So if I'm the 30-year-old person, or you're the 30-year-old person, someone you teach, is if you're a teacher like me, they're going to be 30 years old one day. Their maximum heart rate at that point of their life would be 190 beats a minute. They go for a one-hour walk around an undulating area. What do you think, out of walking the dog pace, out in a beautiful sunshine day, how high do you think that their heart rate might get in that particular situation? They're not running with the dog. They're just out taking for a walk. They've got the dog on a lead. And let's say, for example, they get their heart rate up on the undulating situations. They might get it up to, I'll be generous and say 135 beats. Now, if we work that out as a percentage of their maximum, it's 70%, 71%. Let's just call it 70%. But that's at the undula, the hot where they're walking up a hill, get to 135, walking up the hill. And... Let's and that'd be a sharp hills, but let's say then there's some flats where they're walking over that one hour period of time, and when they're on their flats, their heart rate might be 120 beats a minute. That would be for that particular person at 63% of their maximum heart rate. It's already starting to get complicated, isn't it? This whole the correct heart rate pattern matters for health. It's like, oh, this sounds like a nightmare. How do we figure this out? Let's say that the average that they did was 129 beats. So they get back, they look at their look at their heart rate pattern and their and their software, whatever app they use, iOS or Android, doesn't matter. Their heart rate pattern from their wristwatch tells them that they achieved an average of 129 beats a minute. For that person who's 30 years of age, that means they had an average heart rate, if you want to be a stickler, 67.8%. Let's just call it 68%. That's day one. They had an average heart rate number of 68% of their maximum if you look at their heart rate graph. Then this person's 30. They're kind of into a bit of recreational sport still. Not many adults are, are they? Think about people where you live. And let's say they go out and do some beach volleyball. I don't live too far from the beach. I grew up near the beach. We used to go and do beach volleyball. And let's say they go and do some beach volleyball for an afternoon. And they stick up the nets and they get to go and have some fun with their friends, enjoying some fun, but it's still physical activity. Let's say that the average, they played a pretty intense game of beach volleyball, having some fun. They're still 30 years of age. They like to be mildly competitive. And they average for that particular day 135 beats 
a minute. Well, actually, that's pretty high for a game of volley, beach volleyball. Still, it's on the beach, working in the sands pretty hard, running around a fair bit. Might be two-person volleyball, beach volleyball. So two versus two. Let's say they average 135. And for that particular person, that means they're averaging 71%. So we add that plus their 68%, their two days have got, they're on 68%. They've averaged, so if, oh, so what have we got? No, we've got 71%. I made that mistake there on my calculations. Plus their 68 divided by two, they've averaged 69.5%. Let's call it an even 70%. Then they decide on day number three, they're going to the gym. They're going to do some weights. They're going to do a little bit of cardio. They average in that whole 45 minutes. They're not doing a fitness class. They're just averaging between their weights and their cardio. They might average, they have a pretty good session, might average 140 beats a minute. Well, that 140 beats, that's getting up there. That's the best part of 74%. So they've now got 74% for the first day, for the third day, 71% for the second day, and the first day they had 68%. And if you worked that out as an average over three days, they've averaged 71%. Here's what I'm going to ask you a question. If you know anything about this subject, what the heck does that tell you about the health impact? I can tell you it doesn't. You can't decipher whether or not your three days combined in that seven-day cycle actually help. Has it done this? Has it caused molecular changes inside the human body, that, that person's human body, that person's human body, it's a crazy statement, that person's body, has it caused physiological changes in that seven-day cycle to actually drive down their risk of a cardiovascular event and help lower their risk of a cancer event? But with the, the, the clinically validated health software that we have, it proves whether or not they've lowered their risk by for cardiovascular events, specifically the world's biggest cause of sickness and death. So there is no fundamental app through we know that heart rate is the true reflection of your body's response to physical activity. But if you look at percentages, time spent in zones, it doesn't tell you, did you reduce your chance of arrhythmia? That's a form of heart disease. Did you reduce your chance of thrombosis? Another form of heart disease. Did you reduce your chance of atherosclerosis? Another form of blood vessel disease and heart disease. And there's another one with the, off the top of my head. I'm thinking in the quadrant here um, of a diagram that I created called the impact quadrant, which reflects the physiological changes from the correct dose of physical activity, from the correct heart rate pattern. Uh, and I, so I had thrombosis. Oh, the fourth one was arrhythmia. Has it reduced your risk of an arrhythmia, heart arrhythmia over time? The answer is you don't know because... Looking at heart rate patterns, it's impossible to tell. What you need to do is to have clinically validated software that takes your heart rate pattern and then flips it into a health impact score. And the health impact score is based on the Hunt study of the 45,000 people that I mentioned in yesterday's episode, and it's based on a larger population, I think it's probably getting closer towards a million people now that it's cross-validated on, that says, if you have the correct health impact score, remember, the health impact score, which I'm going to dive into tomorrow's episode, is a true reflection of your heart rate pattern. And if your health impact score, because it's converted your, what it's done, what 
Professor Wisloff and his team have done is convert heart rate patterns into a health impact score. And if you've done the correct dose of physical activity, it will have driven down your risk of arrhythmia, thrombosis, atherosclerosis, and the other one, the ischemia, ischemic diseases of the heart. So the problem is that people don't know and they have no concept of whether it's driven down those physio- the physiological risk, driven, improved your health adaptations. Are you classified as physically healthy yet? How do you know when you are? That's the great challenge that comes from looking at the title of this episode, The Correct Heart Rate Pattern Matters for Health. So here we are. I'm going to finish up today's episode. Tomorrow's episode is when we dive into this whole conversion of heart rate patterns into a health impact score and linking your seven days. Like I went through this three-day example. Someone might do five. You could do six days of exercise what you think is the correct dose of exercise and still be nowhere near the correct health impact score. So tomorrow, let's look at health impact score in a minute in more detail. Then we'll look at another example of how you link historically every rolling seven days. Some of these professors in the world now are absolute geniuses to provide us with tools that can literally change our physical health destiny. Thanks for joining me in this episode, everybody. Can't wait to share with you tomorrow how we convert heart rate patterns into a health impact score. And then what does that actually mean for your physiological and molecular health adaptations that then drives risk reduction? That's the big thing. All right, everybody, wherever you're up to in your day, it has been fantastic sharing with you. You can probably tell just from my voice, I am somewhat obsessed with this topic. I love it. I really want to make a difference. I want to help people change and improve their physical health destiny. All right, everybody, share with you tomorrow. Bye for now.